Welcome to Kastoshi. Today we have a great interview with the technical founder, Niraj Kashyap, a mathematician who has worked on AI at Google and now runs Moonstream, which builds systems for blockchain-based games. And they're doing really well, having transacted over $1 billion since its launch a few months ago. We talk a lot about gaming and the difference between play-to-earn in traditional games versus crypto gaming and also how to manage a game economy and how it's similar to managing a country economy which means defending yourself against attack and theft. We also discuss the future of NFTs, DAOs and what will happen to 9 to 5 jobs. Enjoy! Welcome Niraj, could you tell us a little bit about what Moonstream does? Yeah, uh, Moonstream helps people who are building economies on the blockchain uh, manage, secure, and stabilize their economies. So we work mostly with blockchain games, um, and yeah, we provide them with mechanisms that um, allow their players to engage with their game mechanics on the blockchain. And you know, for example, uh, for example, like you know, um, consumable items that people can use in game. Uh, mini games that people can play in order to earn currency, um, loot boxes where people can burn currency in order to get in-game items, things like that. Um, yeah, that's what Moonstream does. Okay, so so is this is this applications which would connect to crypto via uh, MetaMask or something like that? Yeah, uh, via a wallet. So the way that most blockchain games work is they usually have an on-chain component, uh, which are you know the smart contracts and so on that. Uh, that the game you know that the game deals with and then there's an off-chain component which is usually a game client or something like that um and then the way that the off-chain component interacts with the on-chain component is through something like metamask or uh, other in-game wallets you know in-game clients okay. uh, web three clients okay so, so if someone didn't use your service what would be the the difference so i'm trying to figure out um what the benefit is for companies who would use your service i mean what would they have to do if you didn't exist uh, if we didn't exist they would have to implement uh, all of their on-chain economic mechanisms themselves right so if they wanted to have um you know i see a dungeons and dragons manual behind you like let's say they wanted to have a healing potion or something like that um, they would have to put all the work into implementing the healing potion or if they wanted to have a loot box where you get a randomized reward by beating some sort of a boss, they would have to implement the loot box themselves. Uh, with Moonstream, what they can do is they can come to Moonstream and they, they can like, you know, select, I want to drop uh, this many healing potions into my economy through this storefront, or I want to assign this kind of a loot box as a reward for defeating this boss. And then when a player opens a loot box, well, they have to, uh, you know, we'll randomly assign them this many ERC20 tokens and this many items and so on. Um, or we'll choose from this list. Uh, they can just sort of specify that. They can choose from a menu of those things that they drop into their economies. And then uh, it happens through Moonstream. So basically, instead of having to spend like, you know, weeks or months uh, implementing the smart contracts and all the connecting code themselves, um, they can just get that functionality instantaneously into their economy, which improves their economy and improves the experience for their players as well. So. Okay, so you don't build the user interface for them, but you build an API at the back end, which they call and you do all the crypto stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, could you tell us about, you know, um, so that's you said a little bit about the solution. Could you also tell us about your current progress, 
you know, like how many users you've got and um, stuff like that. And sure, uh, yeah, we plans. launched, we launched Moonstream in September. Um, we've sort of been steadily growing. We started off with just analytics, you know, on top of what I said about sort of building those economic mechanisms. We also secure the economies that we participate in. So, for example, we have bots which can shut down attacks on those economies and you know things like that. Um, and that's sort of what we started with. So we started off with the analytics part of our product, and we've grown since there, since September. Uh, as of last week, we've had over a billion dollars of value transacted across our platform, across our smart contracts, and um, we've you know we're sort of our smart contracts and our software is supporting hundreds of thousands of users oh wow wow so, so are they like big game companies or uh, um i mean I the, guess big, a lot, the big a lot game companies on the blockchain look very different than the big, big big game companies you know sort of off the blockchain but yeah we're, we're working at some part could you tell us what you could you unpack that a bit what do you mean by that I, I, what I mean is, you know, mainstream gaming companies like, you know, your Microsoft's or your EA games of the world, they're like lagging pretty far behind when it comes to um, implementing interesting mechanisms for players on the blockchain. And you're seeing like the rise of just a new breed or a new generation of gaming companies, which are sort of blockchain first. You know, these are companies that have formed just to build blockchain games. It generally takes like a different set of skills in order to make a successful blockchain game than a successful, um, like, you know, AAA game title or something. Uh, that's quite interesting because a lot, I mean, I know a lot of gamers, but those gamers, they generally just play games from like EA or some, yeah. or, you know, one of the big companies or Microsoft or, or, or PlayStation stuff. Now, I've got my own theory, but why would you say that, people have started to migrate i mean okay people in the crypto gaming space would you say these are new users or are these people from traditional gaming and why are people attracted to crypto gaming instead of for example just playing call of duty or something like that i think i think it's new users and i think people are playing these games for different reasons than the people who are playing call of duty um because with crypto gaming Right now, we're in this period where every game is basically a play to earn game, which means that um, people are not necessarily playing the games for entertainment, they're playing the games to actually make money. It's a very different motivation to play a game. Uh, you know, when you play Call of Duty, there's no sort of, um, there's no expectation that you're going to be getting paid for, for your activity. Uh, you're playing it probably to relax or to you know, interact with friends and things like that. Um, when you play a play to earn crypto game, you're playing it to earn money for the most part. At least that's the phase that we're in. Uh, it's a very different sort of incentive, very different you know, set of motivations that brings people to these games. Um, and people in different parts of the world are making a living by playing these games, right? So it's, uh, it's actually a different, it's a very different sort of implicit contract between the people who are creating the games and the people who are playing the games than you have with Call of Duty or something like that. If Call of Duty has a bug or if you, know, you can't connect to a server or you uh, you can't play with your friends like sure you'll be bummed out but you're not actually losing money you're not like you know at risk of not putting food on the table because of that issue but if you're playing a blockchain game then you are in that situation so it's a different level of responsibility so i think it's a different group of people playing the games it's a different way of thinking when you're building the games uh just the whole the whole space is very different than anything we've seen before is it fair to say that for a lot of gamers in this i mean i know with things like world of warcraft even though it wasn't based on crypto yeah. people were still 
getting up in the morning and going to work in the world of Warcraft. Yeah. Um, so, so what's different about earning money with crypto um, compared to earning money by? I'm not sure. I'm not even sure what people did in World of Warcraft to earn money, but uh, they farmed gold. Or they, yeah, they farmed. They farmed gold and they farmed items and then they sold them sort of off of um, either on in-game marketplaces, but usually you didn't sell them on in-game marketplaces for real money. But you could sell them on eBay and stuff like that uh, in order for an exchange of cash in order to you know make a transfer of resources in game. Um, so yeah, World of Warcraft, Eve Online. Before that, even in EverQuest, this was happening. Um, in like Valve games like Team Fortress 2, this was happening with hats. Uh, so this has been happening in games long before you know anything like a blockchain existed. Well, not very long before anything like a blockchain existed, but it's been happening in games before you know even before 2008. But um, I think the big difference is when it when it was happening when it you know with the economic activity you're seeing in games like World of Warcraft or games like Eve Online um, or games like Team Fortress 2. Um, all of those activities are sort of uh, like, you know, they live or die at the whim of the game publisher. Uh, if the game publisher decided that they want to shut down those kinds of markets or they want to shut, they wanted to shut down those kinds of exchanges, they could. Uh, the big difference between that and with blockchain games is that in blockchain games, there is really no shutting down of this kind of, a, of this kind of activity, because when you own an asset in a blockchain game, as long as that asset is represented on the blockchain, that's like total ownership of that asset. And you can really do whatever you want with it. And you can exchange it for money if you want. And there's really, I mean, people can try to, you know, games can try to stop you. Uh, but that's also the beautiful thing about the blockchain is that, um, you know, someone, a, a game publisher or a game creator who was too heavy handed with whatever control they do have on the blockchain, um, people could just take those assets and like, you know, use them in a different game experience that was built for the same community, right? Like a, a third party could come and build an engaging game experience for holders right. of assets in the game that that competed with it. And so, so basically it's just a complete inversion of control where it's no longer the game publisher or the game mm -hmm. creator that has control over the experience. Um, mm -hmm. They're just sort of the de facto creators of the experience, but that doesn't mean that other people can't come and participate in the economy and create um, entertaining experiences for people who have those assets and sort of participate in the economy as creators, it, it, it opens it up to everyone else. And the people who own the assets, they have complete, they, they get to decide what they, what they're doing with their game, you know, with their game assets, basically, with their NFTs and DRC20s and so on. Is it, is it fair to say though, if someone, for example, buys uh, sand in Sandbox, yeah, as it is today, if they take that sand out, um, they could sell it out. They could sell it on a public market, like on yeah. uh, Coinbase or, or wherever. But they couldn't use it in a different game environment. But you're saying that other, um, well, I think for Sandbox and Axie Infinity at the moment, stuff you buy in there is tied to the game. But are you saying that other people or other companies could come along and say, use your Sandbox items in our game? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So basically, like if I want if I wanted to make a game and I wanted to sort of appeal to the same people who, who have like bought into Sandbox with Sand, I could say, you know, you might not be able to do much with your Sand in Sandbox right now, but I've built this really cool game experience where you can use your Sand in order to like, you know, battle enemies or in order to like, you know, participate in like an adventure or something like this. Uh, so come and spend your Sand over here in order to actually like start getting value out of it um, and there's nothing that can stop me from doing that because sand 
exists on the blockchain. It's an ERC-20 token. And as long as I've built a game that accepts that ERC-20 token as part of my mechanics, um, you know, who's going to stop me from running my running my smart contracts, right? They're, they're running on yeah, the blockchain. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, 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 so you've been going, sin going since uh, October last year and you've already had over a billion dollars transacted. That's quite yeah. fast growth. So are there um, a lot of companies in the space of what you're doing or are you one of the pioneers? Um, I don't know anybody else who's doing what we're doing with game economies. Um, uh, I mean, you know, traditionally, this kind of economic activity has been sort of restricted to governments and central banks mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve and, and, you know, basically groups like that. Um, because economies were, you know, until now, economies have been, you know, it's the economy for this country or the economy for that country. Um, but now a lot of the principles that you see when you're managing an economy for a blockchain project, like for example, a blockchain game, um, they reflect the same things that, you know, someone does when they're managing the economy for a country. Uh, it, it's, it sort of operates at a large enough scale where I think, I think in economics, they call it, they call it like the fallacy of composition, you know, what works well uh, when you're managing the economy of your family, like, you know, like you as someone who's managing your personal wealth, uh, is not going to work well at the level of the country and uh and even for companies it's not necessarily true like you know for a private institution like if, let's say you're making like a billion dollars a year or something uh, it's not the case necessarily that what would work well for a country would work well for you managing the wealth of like your private company um but with the blockchain economies with these game economies you're hitting the scale where actually you need to start thinking about policy of like you know how do i improve the health of my economy? How do I make sure that people aren't hoarding wealth so that like, you know, I have this deflationary dynamic uh, on my currency, like, you know, these kinds of things. These are the things that people who set national economic policy generally think about. So um, that's sort of where we're taking our inspiration from. Um, but there are also new things that come about by operating on the blockchain that genuinely, I think, nobody has thought about or experienced before, or, you know, very few people have thought about. I, I'm sure like, I know that Eve Online uh, has an economist, or like you know, and I know that Valve had a chief economist. So like, mm. I I know that gaming companies have been thinking about these things for like at least a decade, mm. um, no more than two decades, but at least a decade. Um, but yeah, uh, there's not. I I don't know of any company that's doing exactly the kind of things that we're doing right now. Okay, okay. So so at the moment you're managing. Um a lot of the crypto stuff and you've put it into an api and you're doing all of the smart stuff in the back end and what's your kind of plans to go forward or where do you see the future of this of, of what you're going to do where do you see that going um you know right now we're we're just sort of uh you know building out our product around this use case where people who are designing games they need to they need to have mechanisms they, they need to be able to drop economic mechanisms in place to improve the health of their economies and they need to secure their economies because mm. um with the amount of transaction volume that we're dealing with we see like a lot of attacks on the economies that we participate in um and you said a lot of attacks how much mm -hmm. is a lot is that daily or yeah, 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 I mean, constantly. So anytime you deploy a smart contract, uh, as long as that smart contract has been published openly, people are going to be looking for vulnerabilities in the smart contract. Oh, really? And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so we Is monitor... Is that because like, they can get free ETH? ethereum yeah, yeah exactly exactly i mean you know the right way to think about this is uh i think the way that retail stores think about like you know their inventory is that you know you 
you incur a certain risk. You know, the more inventory you put in your stores, you incur a certain risk of losing inventory to theft and shoplifting and stuff like that. Um, the same thing happens with in-game economy. You know, the more mechanisms and the more smart contracts and the more different ways people have of interacting with your economies, the more opportunities they're going to find to sort of like you know break the mechanics of your of your economy, especially right now because you know we're on a completely sort of uncharted frontier, right? Like mm -hmm. how many people have built economies that look like this, where, which can interact with real economies, where like you know people are actually earning their daily living by by playing these games. Um, th th this is like really you know, unknown territory, uh, at, at least for everyone that I've spoken with and everyone that I work with, um, we're, you know, we're, we're figuring it out as we go. Um, and so, yeah, this idea of, uh, you know, total security or, you know, like yeah, having something be completely locked down, I think is, uh, is actually damaging for people who are building these kinds of economies. And so, um, yeah, we're constantly monitoring the economies. We're looking for ways that people are trying to exploit mechanics inside an economy, and uh, and like you know, we have different strategies of dealing with that. Like you know, there are some activities that are good for an economy that increase the health of the economy. In which case, like you know, those are activities that you want to support. Um, you know, like arbit, like keep people doing arbitrage across decentralized exchanges or people doing arbitrage, uh, you know, across different marketplaces. That's uh, that's generally something good. That's that's not exploitative in a damaging way uh it's, it's something that you want to encourage people to do but then there are people who are like you know trying to abuse uh vulnerabilities either in like the mechanics of how different you know in the interactions between uh different mechanics or exploit vulnerabilities in the implementation of particular mechanics which we're also constantly monitoring for so yeah um that's that security is a piece is really important um and then just building more mechanisms uh, like we're constantly running experiments about uh, you know what can we what can we deploy into economies that sort of improve um, improve participation that stimulate like activity in those economies and things like that uh, for example uh, you know one thing that we discovered is that people who are playing nft games basically there are two types of users um, two types of users for blockchain games so one of them is like very financially savvy and they're really approaching this more from like a financial point of view rather than a game point of view and the other group of users is more game savvy and they're not so familiar with like the financial mechanisms available to them on the blockchain but they really understand games very well you know these might be um the kinds of people who have played like other games maybe who have played role-playing games like world of warcraft before run successful guilds or been part of successful guilds and now they want to bring their expertise to the blockchain mm -hmm. in order to make them you know make the most of those skills mm -hmm. in terms of real value um, and so we created a way for uh, for us to turn basically NFT marketplaces into ERC20 marketplaces, and that was very successful. Um, and that's something that we're building out on. So right now we're very much in the phase where we're we're discovering every week we're discovering like new mechanisms that uh, that can sort of stimulate activity in economy, improve the health of an economy, secure an economy better, things like that. So we're very much in a discovery phase right now. Um, and, you know, we're, it, it's very enjoyable, first of all, to be in a dis discovery phase. And uh, that, that's what we're focused on at the moment. Uh, I think the way that this grows is we've already seen that by us participating in an economy, uh, we can improve the value, like just improve the total value of that, the dollar value of that economy by like, you know, five to 10 times what it was just because we give players an outlet for uh, for their interest in like a game, right? So right now, most blockchain games have are in the phase where they're just building up their experiences. Uh, you know, they're just starting to build things out. Um, and 
being one of the first projects to give players a way to actually turn their interest into like real activity uh, is a pretty big competitive edge compared to other games. And so our participation in those economies, the mechanisms that we drop in really, uh, really improve sort of the value of those economies. And so, yeah, we're just, we're just sort of in, in this process where we're discovering, you know, first of all, all of the different things that we can do, uh, not limited by, you know, not limiting our imaginations, not thinking like, okay, we need to do things the way that they need to look like, in, the way that they look like in regular economies, because on the blockchain, a lot more things are possible. And uh, and then, yeah, just uh, just figuring out different ways that we can increase the value of the economies that we participate in, because that helps our customers and it helps us quite a lot as well. So that's, uh, yeah, that's where we are. And yeah. So, so security, you said, is basically a big part of what you do. I mean, yeah. how do you make, I guess I've got two questions. One is, how do you make sure that the companies you deal with don't try and um, shut off and run off with the end users' money as well? That's one part. Um, we only participate. So right now, you know, we have, we're sort of in this like um, very fortunate position where we can choose our customers. We uh, We don't we don't participate in projects that we don't deem to be credible uh, and we do quite serious vetting of projects that we choose to engage with um, and we take a lot of skin in the game as well like you know it's important for us because like the traditional model for security on the blockchain has been okay you hire like some smart contract auditor they spend like you know a week a month whatever something like looking at your smart contracts and then they leave and yeah okay their skin in the game is that they put their name on an audit but there hasn't been like much uh, downside for people to do audits, like, you know, for vulnerabilities, uh, you know, when, when vulnerabilities are discovered and we don't really uh, like that. We run security operations uh, and we take our payment partly in cash, but also partly in in-game tokens. And so the value okay. of our- That was my you know, next question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you it's, it's really important to us that like, you know, our incentives are aligned with the incentives of our customers. Mm -hmm. And so our, the value of our assets uh, as a DAO is, um, sort of tied to how well we can, you know, the, how, how healthy we can make the economies that we participate in and how secure, how, how will we secure them? Um, and we run security operations very differently. Like it's not just about smart contract audits, smart contract audits are just a very, very, very small piece of the whole, of the whole thing. That's uh, uh, managing security operations. You have a lot more tools at your disposal if you're actively like, you know, monitoring the health of an, uh, the security of an ecosystem uh, and fixing issues as they arise. Um, we don't like to talk too openly about those tools because we like to maintain a fog of war around how we make, how we perform those operations. It's very important because attackers, if you're too transparent, the attackers know everything about what you're doing and you don't know anything about what they're doing. So we don't we don't talk too openly about those things, but we are running those operations just okay. constantly. Um, and yeah, I think at least in terms of security, like our operations are world class right now. Okay. 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 So so I think we know a little bit about what your company does and. Yeah where you are now but what about yourself i mean i mean you didn't just um you weren't just born as uh, you know to to build you know you weren't born like as a solidity coder you yeah. know doing you know gamer so 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 how did you get here you can go back as far as you like um let you know i I'll, in some sense i was probably born a gamer i never really liked to do anything else uh, with my life except okay. uh, except <laughs> play games and uh and probably the most meaningful relationships I've had in my life have come about through gaming um, or through through playing games. Um, so my background is I'm originally a mathematician. So I I, uh, I got a PhD in mathematics in 2013, um, and I I studied like combinatorics and number theory and 
uh, and actually I spent a lot of time while I was doing my PhD not doing mathematics at all but playing games so I was like really an avid backgammon player and a go player um, um, I, I like those those types of games you know like uh, perfect information like you know two player two player games with, with well with backgammon you have some element of chance like you know those are the kinds of games that I really really enjoy playing um, so after around the time that I was finishing my PhD, I just uh, I decided I didn't really want to do mathematics research uh, for the rest of my life uh, for many reasons. Uh, it I wasn't really cut out for it in the sense that uh, I I found it I I I found that life like quite boring, and I didn't want to just keep on doing something where like you know a handful of people were interested in what I was doing, and like you know you just, you just basically spend the rest of your life in that circle. Uh, my grandmother was quite sick. Um, she had a disease like Parkinson's that was misdiagnosed for Parkinson's, and then, uh, and I decided I wanted like really you know help people like her. So um, basically, after I finished my PhD, first I moved home. Uh, home home is Thailand, so my family lives in Thailand. Uh, I moved back home, um, to, you know, to help to help my mother sort of take care of my grandmother, and uh, it, it it was quite difficult. Um, but then my grandmother passed away in 2013 in the summer of 2013, and I didn't really have anything going on. And in the meantime, I had a friend in Japan that I met through, you know, from playing Go basically. Uh, and he was he was working on uh, sort of, you know, dynamical systems and, and algorithms and data science and so on. Uh, one second, Zubir, my daughter just uh, <laughs> ran into the room. Do you mind? I'll just take her. I'll take her to a more. Hi. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. No worries. Oh, that's nice. She's so cute. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she wakes up at okay. seven. We so... don't even have to cut that. People love to see that. When <laughs> it's up to you if you, do, if you. Some people don't want their family members. I don't. I don't mind. I don't, I don't oh, mind. We'll keep that on. Okay. All right. But yeah. So, sorry. Go on. So you. So you went to. So, um, you worked with your friend from Japan. Yeah. So I moved to Japan. I, I lived there for almost two years. Um. And we developed an algorithm. Uh, actually, it was an algorithm that what, we were what, using it. What year is this, by the way, just to give some context? 2013. I was there from 2013 to 2015. Um, and yeah, we developed an algorithm that we were using for various things. And, and sort of my interest there was we were using it to diagnose um, neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's disease and so on. Um, using like basic equipment like accelerometers, uh, we had a Nintendo Wii balance board, you know, these, these kinds of things we were using those to do that. Actually, the clinical trials are still underway in Japan um, for, for, for that technique, for that diagnostic technique. But uh, I realized sort of that I didn't want to make a life again as an academic, as a researcher in Japan, like doing that kind of thing. It's, it's generally quite uh, sort of time consuming. It, it takes a lot of time to bring a product like that to the market. And uh, and it's it's sort of tough being a foreigner in Japan, like trying to do research over there, trying to make it in sort of the academic community over there. So um, I just moved to Silicon Valley, uh, started a company. It didn't go well. At, the, the, that first time it didn't go well at all because uh, I didn't really know what it took to run a company. But um, that's, that's how I ended up over here. And then uh, through my time here, I've I've sort of, uh, I've worked at Google. I worked on the TensorFlow team at Google and I worked on Cloud AI at Google. Um, I've worked at a lot of startups, you know, building AI teams. Before I started Moonstream, uh, I worked at a company called DocuAI where, where I led the AI and the blockchain teams. And that's uh, that was in 2017. And, you know, my interest there was like, uh, I've, I've sort of been involved in, uh, 
you know, with Ethereum, uh, just doing my own development and building infrastructure and so on since 2016. Um, and so wow, that, so that's you, sort of you were in early. Huh? early. You were in early. Yeah, yeah. Not, not super early, but early enough. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, I understand the technology very well. I, like, you know, it, it, things ended up like quite well for me. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, so, so that, that's, that's sort of when I got involved. Um, and yeah, so then, then I joined DocAI. Uh, at some point, you know, it, it's like pretty clear to me that, uh, you know, I, I, I like, I, I have certain things that I want to build and, uh, and I prefer to just uh, to be building them myself rather than like, you know, working for someone else. And so I started this company. Um, are, you saying that you're, are you saying you're a bad employee like me? I'm a terrible employee. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 a, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good employee for probably like a year and then, uh, and then I get bored or I, I want to do, do my own thing. And then, then, yeah, then, then I, uh, then I'm not a good employee. So um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I started Moonstream and then uh, basically, you know, the core of our technology is built on uh, just an onto automated ontology for software. So uh, we write static analyzers and we write code generators and basically like our sort of real advantage, which most people don't understand because most people don't understand the technology behind it is that we're able to generate programs much faster than like a human being can generate programs because we have tools that understand software really well, that understand like, you know, different systems really well automatically. And then we have code generators sort of that built on those tools, which, which sort of generate software using that understanding. So, 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 um, so did you start Moonstream? Was it supposed to be for crypto or you started? No, it wasn't supposed to be for crypto. So, it was just so it general. Was supposed, it was yeah. supposed to be like a, AI code generation thing. Yeah, like a knowledge base, like an automated knowledge base yeah, where you can like the old 4GL you know, AI yeah, systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was it was a, like you know we had some decent traction. We we had traction with like open source projects. You know, open source projects were using our tooling to like you know um, the use case that worked really well over there was they were using our knowledge base to like pull analytics about how users were using their libraries and so mm -hmm. on, uh, their command line tools, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was pretty hard for us to make money on that because for the most part, you know, we, we got a lot of teams using the software, but, uh, you know, even $50 a month is like a pretty tough ask if you're running like an open source project that's not like, you know, like a startup or something, not, not super commercial. Um, but I run my own Ethereum nodes. And so I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's instrument uh, the Ethereum nodes with this, with this software. And so, so I did that and I was like, wow, this is amazing, right? Like I can get information from the transaction pool very easily. I can get information from like the actual blockchain very easily. I can join the information together. It makes analysis super easy. So we launched, we started building it uh, in July of last year. And then we launched in September as like a, as a full product. And at that point uh, we were, we were really focusing on the analytics angle, right? Where like, you know, let's say that you're running um, uh, let's say that you're running like some sort of an on-chain project uh, and you want to understand how people are using your smart contracts, you can sort of set up analytics for your smart contracts. Again, we have a code generator where you just sort of point it at your smart contract and it'll, it'll tell you like, you know, like what type of analytics. It, it just generates a crawler for like, for okay. your smart contract. So, so, yeah. so could you do stuff like you could just point at a, a smart contract address and you yeah. generate the ABI and you could even interact with it automatically. Exactly, exactly. Yes, actually, okay, that, that's, cool. that's open source. So that's called Moonworm. Uh, you, if Moonworm. you check out our, wow. yeah, I'll, I can send you a link to it in yeah. chat one second. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, it's a superpower uh, being able to use this tool. Uh, let me send it to you. Because that's yeah, something I which I, I need for a project I'm doing actually is to yeah you should check it out. Uh, Moon most of our tooling is Python based, uh, but I highly recommend Moonworm. I mean it it makes it like 
so much easier uh, to do everything else that we do because we have that tool. Basically, we can do things. It, it can it does in basically milliseconds what takes people like you know days or weeks to do. So that's uh, that's like uh, that's a, that's really like quite useful to have. Um, but yeah, so we started off with analytics, and then uh, one of our first customers was a blockchain game, and then sort of our relationship with them just sort of grew and grew as they became successful, and we became successful, and uh, and and now now we're working with like you know multiple gaming projects to help them uh, to help them sort of do the same things that we sort of managing economies as well. But but did you think it was it a conscious decision to move into blockchain games, or or was it like a, a you know because this customer came along and said we could do this that you that you said oh this could be a market how, how did you what was the moment you discovered that it was a market um you know there's always like this sort of universe of possibilities open to you right and then and then like as your business develops for, like when you're when you're really early on like you can do a lot of different things and then like you, you sort of narrow down and narrow down and narrow down your focus as you as you move further and further along. So blockchain gaming was always something that we had in our minds as a thing that we wanted to target. Uh, and we understood like, you know, what kind of value we could bring over there because of our code generators and because because of the capabilities of our product. Um, but uh, in some sense, it was fortuitous as well, right? Because uh, at the same time, we were talking to like hedge funds. At the same time, we were talking to... Um, you know, just data vendors and stuff like that who wanted to use our API to serve data to third parties. Uh, so we had like a few different sort of avenues that we could have focused on. Um, this was the one that we we're most interested in because we we are all gamers. Like, you know, the team, the team is all people who really love to play games and like, you know, that, that's the, the, the um, that's sort of our ethos. Um, so this was the one that we were most interested in and because of interest and because of growth, uh, this is the one that we we are focusing on now. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So, so that's an interesting story about how you got here. So, all the way from PhD in mathematics, yeah, <laughs> and trying to cure diseases. That's yeah. amazing. And also, what was interesting there as well was you found you were trying to find a way to detect Parkinson's and other diseases based on how people could balance on a board. Yeah. Instead of having to inject them with a million different chemicals well, well i mean you know those diseases all manifest themselves through like changes in gait so uh because once you're uh, uh once you once you have like that kind of neur neural degeneration uh even the way that doctors diagnose the, those diseases by studying your gait but the problem is that uh at least at that time so at uh, you know this was before like uh sort of neural what, was that what you said what were they studying what was who studying they were studying gate, gate, uh, how, how how people move. So basically, like just patterns ah, of movement okay. and yeah. you know how people walk and things like that. But this was before like computer vision. You know, uh, before like you know you could run like a large computer vision model like on your phone and and do mm -hmm. things. Um, I think now a lot of people who are doing the same things that we did back then are actually doing them. You know, uh, instead of using like these balance boards and accelerometers and gyroscopes, uh, I think the the sort of preferred way to do things right now is by using a camera on a smartphone and detecting like uh, patterns of uh, movement from the visual data rather than from sort of, although, although I mean, I think accelerometers and gyroscopes on the phone, like, you know, each phone should have like maybe two, two accelerometers and two gyroscopes, like, you know, a modern smartphone. Uh, there's also wealth of sensor information available there. Uh, I don't know how much people are using that sensor information. Yeah. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So um, I, I think uh, I understand a lot about um, Moonstream now, how you've got here. So let me ask you, what, what do you think about the um, 
general um, crypto industry and where it's headed and what you what what do you like and what don't you like? Uh, that this would be interesting to hear because you're you're so deeply involved. Well, I think the thing that I don't like is probably the thing that most people don't like is just the number of scams uh, sort of out there right now, um, and just the you know the the biggest difficulty I think someone has right now if they want to participate in. Um, any sort of blockchain activity is understanding which projects are worthy of participating in and which ones are likely to either fizzle out or be scams. Um, and probably the people who are throwing their money in right now don't have um, enough technical expertise to figure it out based on code. Uh, and so they rely on like, you know, word of mouth and things like that. And this creates like these sort of bubbles and this creates like this kind of like uncontrollable hype that like, you know, exaggerates sort of the effects of like, you know, a rug pull or something like that. So that's the thing that I don't like. And I look forward to, you know, some sort of diminished, like in some sense, the crashes are actually good because the crashes, like, you know, they, they clean the gutters basically. And right now the gutters are pretty full. So that's the thing that I don't like about it, but um, for me, just the possibilities that the blockchain opens up around like collaboration, you know, what I just like, I just at the beginning of the call, I was describing to you, you know, I could decide to create a game that took sand as like an, a currency as, as like a cost to enter, enter my experience. Um, and the way that I described it to you was uh, as if like, you know, I, I had an adversarial relationship with sandbox or something. I wanted to steal like users or steal players away from them. But that's actually not true. And I think what's very likely to happen is that people are going to start collaborating on building these kinds of experiences. If, you, if you're familiar with the Loot project, I think they're like, uh, they were probably the first sort of high profile project that sort of realized the possibilities of like, you know, shared uh, creation of narrative or shared creation of content where, you know, they just built a community and they, they lined up like people who would create for that community. And like, you know, the relationship was transparent to everyone and the upside was shared with everyone. Um, those kinds of things are really exciting to me uh, because, you know, I think this is the first time where we can really say that, uh, you know, you're not really like the, the person who's creating like content or the person who's creating a narrative doesn't have full control of that narrative. And the way, and the way that like the way to approach that in this new world is like, you know, you release the seed of an idea and then you like invite other people to like, you know, grow that seed uh, together with you. Um, for me, that's really exciting because we've never had that sort of form of collaboration before, uh, at least that I know of. Um, and it's very exciting to see what people are going to end up doing with it. Uh, and, you know, for me, this is a much more sustainable model where people can, uh, people can sort of make a living off of, uh, off of their creative works than, than any model that has existed before. It, it's much more open to participation. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter too much. It still matters who you know, but it doesn't matter as much who you know. It doesn't matter like, you know, which publisher you can get in the ear of or, you know, things like that. Um, you can just participate in these communities and sort of, uh, you know, spitball and like, you know, uh, have ideas and like, you know, bring those ideas to to the rest of the community and like, you know, have things grow organically from there. That's very exciting. To me. That's the most exciting thing. To me about this but, but, but what do you think about, for example, if you look at like Web, like Web3, which is like this, this overarching term to describe a lot of this stuff together. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people seem to think it's like the anti-Facebook, the anti-Google, 
But when I think about it, I, I think logically Google's probably just going to build a, um, a crypto wallet into Chrome. And every all of these companies are probably just going to embrace crypto and try and find a way to embed it into their own ecosystem. But may, maybe that's a pessimistic, pessimistic view. I mean, do you think it's going to... I don't think it's pessimistic. I think Facebook is doing exactly that right now, right? I mean, like, uh, that's exactly how Meta is going to turn out. They're going to try but the beauty of it is that they don't have the same moats around, you know, users and they don't have the same moats around content that they had in the Web2 world. Because like Facebook's user database is something that lives on Facebook's platform, right? That's something that uh, um, that's something that you or I do not have access to. And let's say that Facebook like messed something up and they, they like, you know, um, their users were unhappy with like certain aspect of their product. Um, you or I couldn't go and like make a competing product that like, you know, that satisfied that particular need for their users, because we don't know who those users are and we don't have a way of acquiring them. Um, if, you know, these companies start representing their activities on the blockchain, then that moat suddenly goes away. Um, and now, you know, you will know exactly who's using Facebook, uh, as long as they're doing it like on an open blockchain, as long as they're doing it, um, uh, sort of in the open without using any sort of other techniques to hide hide their usership, which is difficult. I mean, so it, uh, it, it may be possible. I, uh, mathematically, I don't know if it's possible or not, but uh, certainly right now, it's not something that would be very easy for them to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be transparent to us which addresses are using Facebook for X and which addresses are not using Facebook for X. So it's, it's really like opening up uh, their user base to people who can genuinely compete with them and who can provide their user base better value. And that that by itself is like, uh, is completely different than how it was in Web2. I mean, but in some ways you could say it's user or data portability. But for example, yeah. if just say you had your MetaMask and it had your username and yeah. your details about you and you went and you went and um, used it to log into Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then you found another person who you were sending messages to they probably wouldn't put those messages on the blockchain because people would want them private anyway. Yeah, they wouldn't put messages on the blockchain. Yeah. Um, but if you had to use, for example, a Facebook token in order to, you know, like have access to some service, mm -hmm. uh, that token transaction would go on the blockchain. So for example, I could pull a list of everybody who's, you know, sort of transacted on the Facebook platform with Facebook tokens. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they might make it, yeah, so, so that they just keep minting new tokens yeah. every time something happens. Yeah. And yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, uh, and and what do you think about NFTs and where they're going? And I mean, I personally see NFTs like this art thing is just the the tip of the iceberg. I mean, what? How do you see them and where they're going? Uh, you know, the reason we like NFT games, by the way, is because the games give utility to the NFTs. Uh, I actually have a lot of trouble understanding art NFTs because. Uh, like the success of those projects is mostly based on like ability to hype things up uh, rather than the ability to execute on any sort of, you know, roadmap or, you know, technical vision or something like that. So I try not to participate in art NFTs for the most part, just because I just, I don't understand them very well. Um, but I understand the gaming ones very well and games provide utility for NFTs, right? The way that I think of NFTs, uh, gaming NFTs is that the gaming, and like if you buy an NFT that's gonna be best part of a blockchain game, you're basically buying a future on the value of like the game that that they'll be participating in, right? So that's, uh, uh, those kinds of things are exciting for me. We spend a lot of time thinking about how we can quantify the utility of an NFT uh, just from on-chain data. Um, 
we keep, actually we keep publishing research about that as well. So um, I see a lot of potential uh, with NFTs. I mean, and NFT is just a mechanism, right? It's a, it's a mechanism for doing X. Like you know, ENS uses the NFTs as a mechanism for registering like a domain, an ENS domain, right? Uh, gaming NFTs use NFTs as a mechanism for participating in in like a game experience. So. Um, I, I don't think of the NFTs as like a space by itself, but for me, blockchain gaming is a very exciting space. And, uh, and other projects are also using NFTs in pretty interesting ways. Like, you know, Uniswap V3, they're using NFTs to represent like your position as a liquidity provider, and then you can make that position tradable. So um, all, of, all of those things are pretty exciting to me. And just the mechanism of an NFT or the mechanism of an ERC-1155 token, that's, a, that's like a standard that, uh, that we've been making very good use of, use of ourselves. Um, those things are the possibilities that they open up technologically are like quite exciting for me. Okay. Okay. And what about DAOs? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess having an in-game economy is a little bit of, it's, it is a DAO in a way. Um, I mean, for me, the exciting part of DAOs is the ability to spin up a company maybe for half a day and then close it down. Yeah. Uh, the ability, I think the, also the transparency of policy, right? So uh, it depends on the extent to which your DAO is a DAO. Like a lot of DAOs are just a bunch of people on Discord, like, you know, making decisions together or something, and which is perfectly fine. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But the real vision is ultimately that like, you know, uh, some non-trivial uh, proportion of your policy is actually going to be represented on chain using smart contracts and people will get to vote. And there's that, that, that level of transparency. That's super exciting to me. Um, and it's also really important uh, because like ultimately participation in, in a blockchain economy really depends on the trust of the participants to, mm -hmm. to like, uh, with, you know, to everyone else who's participating and, and, you know, to the nominal managers of that economy. And, uh, and I think DAOs are going to have a very important role to play over there, basically. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. If you look at like, for example, Web3 today, I mean, I would say it's probably like 10 million people. How many people would you say are participating today? Uh, tens of millions, maybe closer to a hundred million. Uh, oh, it, yeah, it depends on what you mean by participation. Yeah, yeah. Like, like have MetaMask and use it and can approve a track. You know? or, or have some wallet. Like I, I, I know we had numbers like with like even blockchain.com wallets or something. It's it's in, it's close. It's closer to a hundred million. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize that. I'd, I'd heard like ten million, and I and I yeah. didn't. Know. So so, do you think this that it will become billions? And 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 by where, when do you think we'll hit like say, do, well. Firstly, do you think we will hit um, how many web users are there in the world? I have no idea. Say, I mean, I think it's like three, four billion, something like this, okay, right? So, like people so, who are using Facebook on their mobile phones in like, you know, Burma or something. Yeah, it's it's very high. Okay. So, so do you think wallets will get easy enough that we will, like maybe they'll get integrated with Google and Gmail. Do you think we will hit four billion wallets at some point, which is a 40 times increase? I don't think it will happen soon. And I think a lot of it initially is going to happen through centralized exchanges, uh, but I expect in the next five years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so in five years, what, like, what do you think will... will have Let's say in five years, I expect us to hit like one, maybe... 1 billion or 2 billion, 2 billion users, let's say, something oh, like that. Oh, still a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and what do you think will, will um, it's going to change in people's everyday lives, the fact that we have 
super web three or whatever you know i think the way people earn money is going to change uh the way that people earn money and the way that people think about money are both going to change very drastically are you talking about here in in the west or in in anywhere anywhere in the world i think it's going to happen it's going to happen everywhere and it's going to be different in the west the way that it changes in the west is going to be different it's going to be different than the way that it changes um you know let's say in thailand or the way that it changes in like indonesia or the way that it changes in japan uh, everyone is going to have a different take on it, but it is going to change for everybody in some way. Uh, and we're actually already seeing that. I don't know if you had to spend any time on Wall Street, that's subreddit, but like oh, yeah, already you can see that people there think about money very differently than the way that, like, I, I don't know, I assume that we're of a similar generation, but like people there think about money differently than the way that we think about money, uh, that, at least in the way that I, I think about money. Uh, and participating there has made me start changing the way that I think about money as well. So uh, it's, it's, just, it's just coming. Um, yeah. So, so do you think people will still be doing nine to five jobs or do you think it's going to people going to just l- log in with MetaMask, do a job and escape? Yeah, I, I, I hope I hope that it's going to be like that. But there's some things that won't go away so easily, right? Like a manufacturing job or like, you know, working in a mine or something like that. At some point, you really need people there, like, you know, doing things with their bodies. Uh, those jobs aren't going to go away. We're, we still require like, you know, those commodities. I hope those jobs will get paid better. Uh, but yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. I think, okay. So I think that's everything for me that I've wanted to ask you. Is there any stuff you'd like to um, finish off with about your company where people can find you or any closing thoughts? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you a little bit, a bit about Moonstream. So one of our principles is that we like, we really like to do everything that we can in open source. Um, so I'll send you some links to there, uh, you know, a link to our GitHub. We also uh, carry most of our work out in the open on Discord. So if you join our Discord, like, you know, we're happy to talk to you and uh, we're happy to even help people get started, like, you know, on their Web3 journeys, um, if they're developers, if they're programmers. Um, now that we're running security operations, there is some stuff that we have to sort of keep hidden, that we have to keep private. That's just sort of uh, our responsibility to our users. Um, but for the most part, we try to be as transparent and as open as we can be. Um, and so, yeah, if, if uh, anybody's interested in learning more about Moonstream or just wants to like, you know, get more involved in Web3 or get involved in gaming, uh, just, you know, you can join our community, join us on Discord and we're happy to help you. I can post that all in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll send you the links. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's been very educational once more, for, you know, for, for me. So um, uh, thanks for your time. And um, and uh, yeah, I hope it all goes well. And I'm I'm going to follow your company and um, like follow the progress. You know. And, uh, thanks. See, thanks, see Uber, Yeah. It was. Yeah. I thanks for having me on the on the podcast. And yeah. Good luck to you as well. And yeah. Let's uh, join join our Discord. We can we can keep oh. talking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.